You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I posted um, a little idea last week on uh, my Instagram account and the church Instagram account, and it goes like this. Failure comes from failing to recognize we're all failures. Sustained by the grace of God. Would you like for me to repeat that? Yes, Robin, please repeat that. Okay. Failure comes from failing to recognize we're all failures sustained by the grace of God. Now, that's not a positive outlook. That's not like confessing we're all more than conquerors through him that loved us. But there really is something very legitimate about... um, recognizing who we are, how much we need the Lord, and the kind of people Jesus chose. So that's what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm looking at the 12 apostles, and this comes from random studies I've done over the years about uh, the apostles, what kind of people they were, what kind of problems they had. We know the successes. They changed the world. Is that right? Yeah, so we're going to discover that God changed the world with some very disturbed people. Don't snicker, please. That's... So let's dive into this. Jesus' 12 apostles were not perfect men. They were complicated. They were ambitious. They were troubled, even sinful men. They had different personalities that put them at odds with each other at times. Any of this familiar? Not in spite of, but I believe because of some of these very reasons, Jesus chose each one of them. He loved them all, and he knew it took their individual differences and quirks to express the full picture of God's love. Jesus didn't build his team with perfect people that completely agreed with each other. Let me say that again. Jesus did not build his team with perfect people that completely agreed with each other. Sometimes they even disagreed and argued with Jesus. Now, I think that's pretty dangerous, frankly, to argue with Jesus. I could argue with Peter or Paul, but I'm not sure about arguing with Jesus. But Jesus built his team of people who were different from each other, who needed to learn to love one another and understand each other. And how can you understand people you don't talk to? How can you understand people you don't listen to? See, one of the things I want to do is I want to understand the generations because if you don't understand them, how can you speak into their lives? How can you, how can you help them? If you just demand that they be like I am, well, that's a little scary, right? But no, we have to understand each other. We have to spend some time um, listening to what people are saying, not just cut them off because they don't agree with maybe even our viewpoint, maybe some very important parts of what we think or feel. So put yourself in the state of mind, in Jesus' state of mind, when he was choosing his leaders. What was he thinking when he chose these disciples? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through um, a number of different Bible verses. You can, you can make a note. You can look them up. 
You can go along with me, but um, first of all, we're going to find from Luke 6, 12, and the parallel verse in Mark 3, verse 13 and on. First of all, Jesus, and this is very important. Is everybody paying attention to this one? Look at someone and say, are you listening? Are you listening? And this applies to you as well, not just the apostles. First of all, Jesus chose people he wanted. And we find in Luke 6, 12, Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night, all night in prayer to God. And this reference here is um, the night Jesus was going to choose the 12 apostles, all night. Now, in Mark 3, he went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12. And another word for appointed is ordained. Then he appointed or he ordained 12, and then it tells you what they were ordained to, that they might be with him. Very important. Order here is significant. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And then we have a list of them. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, two brothers, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. And we're going to look at why Jesus gave them that Nicknamed Sons of Thunder. He was really making fun of them, to tell you the truth. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So we find this picture of Jesus praying for the leaders he was going to um, add to his team. Notice first that Jesus did choose Judas Iscariot. The original Greek records this about Judas, who even betrayed him. And I I believe Jesus, he knew for a long while, he may have known when he picked Judas, what Judas was going to do. And I'll give you you some reasons I believe that. And they're, in one sense, very encouraging reasons to, to give us a viewpoint into the heart of God. Um. It's as though this verse is saying that Jesus chose Judas knowing he would betray him. Um, Luke 6.16 described Judas as the one who became a traitor. And I thought that word really touched me. When you come to Jesus, you can become something other than you are. How many of you are hearing that? You have the potential to become something more than you are because Jesus gives people opportunity to succeed even in areas where they're prone to fail so that we can learn how to overcome and succeed. And I think that's what he was actually doing with Judas because remember, Jesus gave Judas responsibility for what? How many of you remember what he gave him? He gave him the money knowing he was a thief. Now, that tells you a lot about Jesus. It tells you, number one, Jesus didn't worry about money. Wouldn't that be wonderful? How many of you in here would like to not worry about money? How about the rest of you with your maybe your left hand? <laughs> oh, my. So, 
That'd be like giving your investment fund to someone you knew was going to steal it. No, Jesus gives Judas responsibility for the money when he had a CPA on his staff. What do you mean? Matthew, the tax collector, was on his staff. Jesus gives Judas the money. Now, what was Jesus doing? Jesus wasn't setting Judas up to fail. He was setting him up to succeed. He was actually given an opportunity to overcome and to succeed. Well, that tells you a lot about Jesus. And I like that idea about Jesus praying all night about those he were going to choose. Praying which of his friends were going to be apostles. Do you believe Jesus would spend a whole night praying before he chose you? How much thought process do you think Jesus put into choosing you to follow him? I think he's put in a lot. Jesus labors over us. The Bible actually tells us now that he's been interceding for us over in the book of Hebrews. He's been praying for us. How many of you would like to know that you do have one person praying for you named Jesus? So Jesus labors over us in ways we don't even see. He takes us seriously. He has us in his heart. And the Bible records these things in this way so that we will understand and we will see how he feels about us. We also see in Mark that um, when he went up on the mountain and he prayed and he called people, they came to him. I was thinking about this idea of Jesus, um, how Jesus wanted them. I've been married, I think, what, is it 45 years, Donna? I see your head shaking in the affirmative. Nice to get that right, by the way. Well, before we were married, Donna and I went with, I mentioned him last week, Harry Bazella passed away. He was my pastor for 10 or 12 years, and we went to the beach with his family uh, just before we were married. And we went to the beach. By the end of the first day, I had a random collection of these seashells. Some were broken. Some seemed insignificant, but I really did like them. Well, I can remember. Isn't this funny, the things you remember? The group made fun of my selection, but guess what? I liked them. I wanted them. They were the ones I wanted. So we're going to see in the apostles, um, Jesus picked from very strange people. Jesus picked from very troubled people. But I think that opens the door for a lot of us, don't you think? when we realize the kind of people, not not just that he picked to spend time with, he picked to like hang the door of the worldwide gospel mission on them as hinges. Do you have any idea how much faith Jesus really has? Oh, goodness. But we need to know we got picked. It's not random that we met the Lord. He wanted us. He had his eye on us. We've been in his heart. We're still in his heart. And that truth to me is one of the most stabilizing aspects of our faith is that we have been personally chosen, personally picked because Jesus wanted us and he wants us. That needs to be the bedrock of our relationship with God. And I like this. Jesus can be very persuasive. The Bible says those he called came to him. Now, 
one thing we need to know about the Lord because it's important. He doesn't use pressure or personal persuasiveness in a sense to get us to choose him. And that's because we're made in his image. Being made in his image means at least we have the power to choose. We have that power of choice. He wants to be wanted, but he won't force us to love him. We have a choice in it. We have something to say in the matter. But Jesus did choose these 12. And the primary, the, the first order of business for them were to be with him. Jesus chose them to be with him. That was what they were ordained to. They were ordained to him. That was their appointment. Jesus was their appointment. And everything um, in the rest of their lives came out of that relationship with him or it was on a faulty ground. And I think the Lord has to, and, and I hope you'll agree, I think the Lord has to call us over and over again back to himself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He has to call us over and over again back to himself because we lose focus. Um, the cares of this life, all the different things we find in the Gospels that distract us from the Lord himself. So he called us to be with him. And one of our core values, I've been looking at core values lately and thinking through what I believe my personal core values are and some we have here at the church, although we have not articulated them well, we're going to articulate them better um, as we move forward. But one of our core values here is intimacy with Jesus, having a personal relationship with Jesus. I think Amy put it so well one time when we were talking about this, where Jesus is the most important person in the room. And then we respect the scriptures. It's one of our core values. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible's the word of God. We have respect for the scriptures. And another core value we could say is being kind to everyone. Um, particularly in this climate, the, this social climate, being kind to everyone. Um, so we're looking at people Jesus chose. We all know about Simon Peter. We know about the time he denied the Lord. I spent a little bit of time last week talking about that. Jesus knew what he would do but chose him anyway. To me, that's one of the most wonderful truths about the Lord. He knows us. He knows our choices. He knows our decisions. And even, even in the light of the inclination maybe we have at times to make bad decisions, he chose us. I was thinking about Peter's restoration. If you didn't hear last week's message, um, you should go back and listen to it. I think it was important. But when you look at the restoration of Simon Peter, as you know, he swore his undying allegiance to the Lord, and Jesus told him, within 24 hours, you're going to deny me. And he didn't just deny him. He denied him with oaths, cursing. How would you make a comeback from that? But he did because Jesus restored him. And there was a process in, in Peter's restoration. This is a little bit of a side note, but it's potent. The thing Jesus did to restore Peter was he helped Peter reaffirm 
his love for Jesus the same number of times he denied Jesus. Then he committed Peter to feeding his sheep, to care for people in the church, in the house of God. And then he told Peter he was going to suffer. Can we hear that? Suffering is part of the process. We, we do not, we are not honest with people in the Christian life. If you do not understand you, there are some unavoidable aspects in Christian life that hurt. There, there are that listen, it's, that's the truth. That's the way that is. I remember years ago, years ago when people got saved, the idea was, boy, you're on easy street now. Well, Easy Street's got some rough corners. I don't know if you know that. But he let Peter know he was going to suffer. And then he told Peter to stop comparing himself to others. Anybody in here have that problem? Comparing yourself to other people? And then he told him twice, you follow me. You follow me. Over and over again. We need to hear that. Follow Jesus. Then we find this about Jesus. He gives some of these apostles nicknames. We know, to me, some of them are pretty funny. Peter, he called the rock. What do you think about the rock? Something solid, something immovable, something unchangeable. Was that Peter? Not so much initially. But he became that because when you know Jesus and you go through life with Jesus and you go through processes with Jesus and when you're connected with other people who know Jesus in some forms of relationship through the, the pull and the tug and the rubbing and the process of community and the process of life, you can actually become better at who you're called to be. Can you hear that? And that's what happened with Peter. Jesus actually gave him a little bit of a comical name by calling him the rock and also a vision for his life. And then he called James and John a strange name. He called them, <clears throat> and I believe in the Greek it's Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. So what, what would a sons of thunder be? All noise, no power. How many would you like for Jesus to pick your nickname? <laughs> and everybody knows what it is. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. James and John, sons of thunder, all noise, no power. And they had issues. Somebody say issues, please. Issues. So they had issues. In Luke 9, we find this. Jesus, verse 52 Jesus sent messengers before his face. They were out preaching the gospel. He would prepare certain towns. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face, Jesus' face, was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, now listen to this. This is John, the beloved disciple, and his brother James. When James and John, the beloved disciples, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So what did James and John want to do to people that didn't listen to Jesus? Well, let's kill them. 
burn them up. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, that's one of, two of the apostles wanted to destroy these people. Call fire down on people who disagreed with Jesus, really disagreed with them. I don't think they disagreed with Jesus as much as they disagreed with James and John. So Jesus told them they did not know what spirit was behind their actions. Can you hear this? And that the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Did did James and John have other problems? Yes. They had a pretty serious problem with jealous ambition. Ambition is one thing, but jealous ambition or selfish ambition, that's probably another way to put it, is, is different. In Matthew 20, James and John send their mother to Jesus to ask him for something. And so Jesus said, what do you wish? And she said, Jesus, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Then Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am that I am baptized with? Jesus suffering. And they said to him, We are able. But when it came, they ran from it, if you remember that. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And then verse 24, And when the ten heard it, the other ten apostles, they were greatly displeased displeased with the brothers. Now, why were they displeased? Well, they wanted those seats too. So you look at the people Jesus picked, flawed. If James and John sent their mother to lobby for them. That's a little strange. They thought they were prepared to do what it took to gain a high position. Well, they were delusional. Am I giving the apostles too hard a time today, folks? I'm just reading the Bible. And this, to me, is greatly encouraging because everyone in this room has some problem. But those problems don't necessarily exclude us, maybe not at all, from being a part of Something wonderful with the Lord. I like that. The others were greatly displeased. Well, why would that be? Well, they wanted it too. So let's review. Let's review some of the problems Jesus had with his disciples. Now, these are the patriarchs of the New Testament church. They had violent tendencies. They had selfish ambition. They were defensive. Their actions in calling down fire from heaven to destroy their enemies. It was a wrong reaction to those who they believed, and they could have been right, that stood in opposition to their purpose. And they could be motivated by the spirit that was not the Holy Spirit. Is this landing anywhere this morning? I hope so. Boy, that's a witness right there, huh? That's the Lord saying, pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. That made me a little nervous. I don't know about you. 
Oh, then there was this. You ready for some more? (laughs) So they come to Capernaum, the traveling, apostolic, world-changing, kingdom-demolishing team of leaders. (laughs) We find this over in Mark chapter 9. And when they go into this house, Jesus says to them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? This could actually have been in response to the best seats in the heavenly kingdom issue we just looked at. But whatever it was, they probably didn't have one dispute. They probably had a number. Jesus said, what was it you argued about among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. So Jesus said, what were you guys arguing about? What did they say in response? Nothing. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. And he said a number of other things. But, oh, yes, they argued among themselves about who was the greatest one among them. When Jesus questioned him about it, nobody would own up to it. Nobody would own up to it. And these were the future pillars of the church. How many of you can identify with some of this? Anybody identify with some of this? Then there was Thomas. What was Thomas's nickname? Um, in the Greek, it was Didymus, which means the twin. Now, I've thought about this, and I can be wrong about this, but I know I'm right about part of it, but he could have been a biological twin. But I think even if he was a biological twin, Jesus may have called him the twin for other reasons. Could it be like he was like two people? One brave and one who doubted. See, we find brave Thomas in John eleven sixteen. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go with him that we may die with him. So, I mean, he had, he had bravery. He did. Then there's the other Thomas, doubting Thomas in John 20, 25. The other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. So Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of those nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So we know what Thomas said, but we don't know why he said it. And I know I felt some of these things. I I would imagine some of you. Thomas could have thought, I'm too wounded. I'm too hurt to believe. I'm too fragile to trust again. How many of you felt that way? I'm too disappointed. I've invested too much time and energy, and look what happened. I risked my life to follow him, and he died. Look what happened. It's already cost me too much to believe that what you say about Jesus being alive is actually true. And what happened? He was alive. So one of the things you see is, and I I think if we're here again, if we're going to be honest, part of... An essential part of the development of our faith is going through significant disappointments, but going through them. Are you listening to me? It really is important. 
Because we can't control God. We can have faith for things. I believe that. We can see people get healed. I believe that. But it, it, it's not magic. There, life is a bit mysterious. I mean, Donna and I, and, and I hope Barbara's listening today, Donna's sister has cancer. She's, she's in a battle. We pray for her. We believe for God to touch her life. But we don't, we, we, how many of us have been disappointed? How many of us have been heartbroken? How many of us have said, where was the Lord? Why didn't he do what it, I thought he was going to do? And then somebody's all happy and says, hey, Jesus is wonderful. And you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if I can do this again. Well, you have to. Jesus has got to be big enough to take you through your disappointments or he's not big enough at all and he's not worth following him. But you can't control him. You can't make him do what you want him to do. He's not going to do that. Some of the things, yes, but we, we picture this doubting Thomas. But look what the man went through. Completely sold out. Gave everything he had. I don't know. How many in this room have given everything they had? They're all in. Completely. No plan B. Here's what I'm doing. All in for Jesus. That's what those guys did. As problematic and as troubled as they were, that's what those guys did. And then they were told repeatedly, but they could not hear the sense of Jesus dying. But it was part of the program. It was part of the plan. And they had to go through those periods as a developmental part of their faith. Don't quit in the disappointment. Can you hear this? Don't stop in the middle. Please, go the distance. Give God all the chances He needs, in a sense, I'm saying this, give him all the chances he needs to bring you through. Don't stop. Keep moving. If you're going to fall, at least fall forward. Then there was Simon the Zealot. The name the Zealot comes from the Greek word zelotes, which the Apostle Luke used both in his gospel and the Acts, to distinguish this Simon from Simon Peter. Um, most scholars believe Zelotes, or the zealot, comes from an Aramaic word meaning the zealous one. But what does that title mean? It could mean he belonged, and he most likely did belong to a sect known as the zealots. The zealots were associated with violent uprisings including the first Jewish-Roman war, and they expected the coming Messiah to overthrow Rome using force. So you've got to look at the team Jesus built. He had Matthew, the tax collector, who any righteous Jew believed had sold out to Rome, and then you had Simon, the zealot, who wanted to tear everything down and make war with the occupying force. Jesus had both of those kinds of people together on his team. But 
Here's what we need to see. One thing's indisputable. These people love Jesus, every one of them. I don't know, probably not Judas Iscariot. He didn't overcome his disappointment, maybe, because Jesus didn't do what Judas wanted him to. That's a whole other thing to think about. But these men loved Jesus. Here's a verse out of the Proverbs. I love them that love me, the Lord says. What does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean he doesn't love them that don't love him. But there's something that happens when you begin to love the Lord and develop this relationship. You begin to feel the love he has for you. But these men loved him. These women loved him. The Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary Jesus' mother, Mary the aunt. But Peter, Peter promised to never leave Jesus no matter what. That's because he loved him. Thomas was willing to die for him at one point, showed great courage in the midst of conflict. John leaned on his breast, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Commentators believe that John was but a teenager when he started following Jesus. Can you imagine being a teenager and going through what those people went through in those three years with Jesus through the passion, the death, and the resurrection? Mary poured out her life savings, anointing Jesus lavishly with what she had. And then there was Lazarus' home with Mary and Martha. The Bible tells us clearly Jesus intentionally went there just for one reason. They loved him. When we love Jesus, maybe he'll pay us some visits. How many would like that? A supernatural visit from Jesus the power of the Spirit moving in our midst in an extraordinary way because we love Him. How I many? I like that. We need to see God touch us. We need to have the presence and power of God move in our lives. In John 15, Jesus said this, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I've called you friends. For all the things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Let's say that together, that you love one another, that you love one another. You can actually see in John 15 what church life is supposed to be about. We're people God's chosen. We're people God's appointed that we should be fruitful, that our fruit should remain, that our relationship with our Father is we can ask him things and he will give them to us. And then we've been commanded that we would love one another, that we would love one another, that we had a heart for each other, that we would become a growing, self-perpetuating community, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family. And it's remarkable when you look at the apostles, who they were relationally. And by relationally, I mean 
um, not like I have a relationship, say, with John Schroeder, but like related like my brother, I have a natural brother, related that way. It's extraordinary how God uses families. James and John were brothers. Jesus, James, and John were cousins through Salome, Mary's sister. Peter and Andrew were brothers. They were cousins of James and John and business partners. Andrew and John were disciples of John the Baptist, as was Philip. Matthew and James were brothers, sons of Alphaeus. Philip was a friend of Nathaniel's. Jesus and Simon the Zealot could actually have been cousins. So what am I saying? I'm saying that God will land on a family group, on relatives to expand his kingdom, expand his family. And then here's what we need to conclude. Here's what opens the door for all of us. These guys were problematic. They had issues. Peter was tempestuous. He was proud. He was impetuous. He denied the Lord. He cut a man's ear off. He was a man pleaser. Paul had to withstand him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he tried to take over the whole project and start building buildings. You have to know the story. Maybe you do. Thomas, we've looked at Thomas, doubted Jesus. James and John, sons of thunder, call down fire on people, selfish ambition, chief seats, got their mother to lobby for them delusional about who they really were until they went through some of these situations. And that's what happens when we go through life's troubles. We find out two things. We find out who we really are in a negative sense. We find out who we can become because of Jesus. Judas, say no more. Nathaniel, very opinionated but very honest. So you've got these flawed, opinionated, disagreeable, presumptuous, self-focused, fanatical, self-willed, had selfish ambition. But you know what? Listen to this. With the exception of Judas, each one of these men died for Jesus. Each one of them. They were so transformed by the power of their relationship with Jesus and that community that they were in together. Let me close with this. John 13, 1 from the Amplified. Now before the Passover feast began, Jesus knew he was fully aware that the time had come for him to leave this world and return to the Father And as he had loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. So, you may have problems, you may have issues, but there's a transforming power in the love God has for you. The love God has for you. One of the things Harry Bazell said all the time, and he made these little cards. Have you ever seen a red and white Jesus loves you card? How many of you ever saw? I don't know. Some of you probably never seen those. But Jesus loves you. 
Jesus really cares about you. He has your best interest at heart. And he has the power to transform you. Amen. Amen. Okay. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.